DG. I'm Eric Clayton. We've all heard the expression, God works in mysterious ways. It sounds a little cheesy, a little trite, but I swear the conversation you're about to hear is a result of exactly that mystery at work. It was not a small amount of serendipity that saw me talking with Dr. Timon Davis at such a crossroads moment, the end of Black History Month and the beginning of Lent. And as we delved deeper into our conversation, Dr. Davis's own research interest, storytelling and the Black Catholic experience served as an organic, helpful link between these two significant moments in time. Dr. Davis is an assistant professor at the Institute of Pastoral Studies at Loyola University, Chicago. She serves as treasurer of the Black Catholic Theological Symposium, and she runs Peace-Centered Wholeness, a business with her husband, where they blend clinical counseling with spiritual companioning. Timon is a lot of fun to talk to, and I want to share this one line from her bio because I think it can and should be really helpful to all of us. Quote, Timon Davis is a cradle Catholic who was a puster until she discovered that the uselessness of the church was because she wasn't giving anything of herself. After committing to do something, her life changed, end quote. Ultimately, this conversation left me wondering what Ignatian storytelling might look like, a reflective effort to put ourselves into stories, to encounter God and one another, to heal, to reset power and privilege, and ultimately to build bridges in the real world. Don't forget to subscribe to AMDG. To tell your friends how awesome this podcast is, go ahead, grab their phone, subscribe for them, they'll thank you and leave us a nice comment. All right, Dr. Timon Davis, welcome to AMDG. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I want to dive in. This might be kind of a, a, a weird question to start with, but I know from um, from reading some of your work and 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 kind of seeing your online presence uh, that you are very intentional to make all the letters in your name lowercase. And I, I wanted to know if there was a story there uh, or any reflections as to how you came to to do that. There is a story there. So um, I was at a point in my life where I don't think I was paying attention enough to. Um, God in my life, what Jesus was saying. And I said, I need some reminder. What, what reminder can I have that would assist me so that every time I see it, I'll be like, oh yeah, this is what you need to do. So I was like, hmm, I bet if I change my uh, name to all lowercase letters, that will remind me to do what? To decrease as Christ increase in me. So, um, I, I, I'm trying to think when I started that. I I want to say it probably goes back to probably 2006, maybe 2005, when I kind of started that. Um, and and I am surprised by other people's reaction. Hmm, how right? so? Because some people um, correct it, right? So. They correct it and say, when you when you sent your name in or when you did this, you did it incorrectly. Um, and others have been like, oh, well, that's strange. Um, why would you even bother? So I did, um, at one point, I have a supervisor who we were writing a, a monthly newsletter. 
And every time I turned my name in, and when I actually saw the newsletter, my name was changed. And so I finally asked him, like, why, why do you keep changing my name? And he says, well, because you don't know how to spell it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you keep using lowercase letters. And I said, I know what I'm doing. He said, well, that's not grammatically correct. And I said, I get to spell my name the way I want to spell my name. And um, I just didn't think that it would draw that much controversy, but it bothered him. And so um, basically he told me he would not put my name in lowercase letters. And then I told him he would have to leave my name off of the newsletter. Oh, wow. <laughs> has it, has it, uh, so these are some, some more controversial kind of clashes over your name. I wonder if it's, because I, I love the idea of, of a representation, a constant reminder that we are called to, to decrease. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, ha have you had, uh, dare I say, more productive um, conversations with people as a result where they said, oh, that's a great reminder. And, and I often forget. So um, have, have people, ha has it been an invitation to others to uh, grapple with this kind of spiritual reminder as well? Or do you find it's, it's really mostly for yourself? It's mostly for me. When I was um, studying at Catholic Theological Union, Sister Jamie T. Phelps told me, you know, I said, um, Sister, I don't know if I'm going to be able to work, you know, in this program. It's the Augustus Toten Pastoral Ministry Program, which is a, which is a scholar ship program for African-American lay people to get their master's degrees at Catholic Theological Union. And I told her I didn't have time for all of that, right? And she said, oh, well, you know, you must decrease while he increased. And I was like, whatever. Um, I'm, and I didn't know what that meant. Hmm. And um, I just kept moving ahead, but I didn't know what she meant. And so this is what a colleague wrote, wrote for me. Dr. Timon Davis uses lowercase letters in the spelling of her name to indicate her willingness to embody the creedal assertion in John 3.30 in her everyday life. So I was like, really? What does John 3.30 say, right? That was, that was the, the, the thing that I came back with. What does it say? And, um, and I'm hoping your listeners are all excited about going to they're pulling um, their Bibles out right pulling now. Pulling their Bibles out right now <laughs> to be like, what? What does that say? Right? And um, because I had to do the same thing. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the scripture reference. And it comes in where John was baptizing and he had not yet been thrown into prison. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the one who was with you across the Jordan to whom you testify. Here he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, no one can receive anything except what has been given from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. I know that's a long answer, people. I know to 
um, what in the world is going on in my life. But I, I am a complex individual. I think we all are if we embrace it. And we don't come by things um, too lightly, right? That mm-hmm. um, some things we stumble upon and we and others help us flesh it out, right? So mm-hmm. I stumbled upon this as my own testament or testimony for what I needed to do in my life because I think I was getting ahead of God. And when I share it with other people, they find a way in which to identify and they may do a little research on your behalf. And so this was a colleague who did uh, some research on my behalf and then gave me this. And I was like, wow, that is so neatly put versus me in my stumbling is just like, look, I just really needed to be more aware of Jesus. Right. 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 Um, I, I wonder too, I, it occurs to me. So, th- th- you know, I must decrease, he must increase. It's also a great mantra as we go into Lent. Um, oh and, I, and, I, and I think that uh, the majority of folks, when they're listening to this podcast, we're going to be at an interesting crossroads where we're ending Black History Month mm-hmm. and and going right into Lent. And, and this idea of I must decrease um, so others can increase, uh, I, I think is certainly has a lot to, to say about Lent, but I also think has a lot to say about perhaps the the dynamics, the social dynamics in our country as we uh, as we come to the end of Black History Month. So I wonder if you have any reflections of that at, at this intersection of, of kind of time, uh, Black History Month uh, into Lent, uh, as we think about that, um, you know, who, who are we called to be? How are we called to act as, as different people uh, representing different cultures and races and, and religions uh, at this at this moment in time. I think if we look at the decrease aspect of of what I'm trying to do in my own life, it, it it's not um, a decrease that says I am less than any other person, right. but it is a decrease. Let's say to my ego, right? It is a decrease to my privilege. It is a decrease um, to all of the things that would blind me to what others have to offer, right? And and so if we think of it in terms of Black History Month, um, Black History Month, in my, my mind, doesn't say that Black people from African descent or or in the diaspora um, are better people. But what it does do in a country that has vilified um, African, African-American peoples is raise up the good for people to be able to see um, there is goodness in what has been vilified. Now, what does that mean for the rest of anybody who's who's looking at at black history is to say, how do we look for and focus on the good that is in people versus Mm -hmm. all of the negative that is in people? How do I look for Christ in you? In other words, as a reflection of the Christ that's in me. So this is a challenge, right? Because, you know, what we hear in the media, what some of the trajectories that people are on are all about negative things, all about our differences, all about what separates us. 
But what Christ is asking us to do is, can we take a step back and look at what unites us? What does it mean to be human in the United States where um, there is an imbalance in um, uh, an imbalance in, in the necessities in life, you know, food, shelter, clothing. Let's just stick with the basics, right? We don't have to even talk about anything else. There's an imbalance that exists in the United States where, you know, some people have so many clothes and other people's don't, don't have any. Now I want to put myself in the category of having a whole lot of clothes, right? Because, um, and, 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 and admittedly know that that's a place of privilege, right? Mm-hmm. When you open up your closet and know that you have clothes that, oh, what do I want to wear? Versus this is all I have to wear. Then we need to understand that as a place of privilege so that when we can understand our privilege, what decreasing then moving into Lent is decrease, right? Lent Mm -hmm. invites us to decrease. Um, What decreasing then says is, let me take note of what I have decrease in a way that will bring me closer to what God is asking of me. Now the decrease is not supposed to be about, let me lose weight, (laughs) right? It's not supposed to be about, well, let me not do the things that I'm not supposed to be doing in the first place. Right. Right. That's not the decrease that, that Lent is inviting us to. The decrease that Lent is inviting us to is something that is meaningful to us that we would step away from so that when we reach out for it, we halt ourselves and go, wait, no, I know I like this and I know I want this, but if I deny myself this, how is it helping me, you know, um, grow in my relationship with others, grow in my relationship with God? deepen, you know, that relationship within myself. See, that's what the decrease is all about for Lent. Um, and, and so I am, am challenged this Lent. I got several things that I'm, I have on my plate that I'm like, hmm, what are the things that I really want to decrease from? And in decreasing, what am I going to increase to? Right? Hmm. So it, it's not just, oh, let's, let's decrease let let me give up chocolate because i shouldn't be eating so much chocolate anyway um and, and so i i'm i'm bouncing back and forth between several things so one one is breakfast meats let me give up breakfast meat right because i really love breakfast meats right um and and it's like let me give that up so that i can think about you know, why do I love that? And what does denying myself mean? Um, and then I play computer games, or I should say, I shouldn't call them computer games because I play them on my phone and my iPad and on the computer. So too many games, but I'm thinking, so let me decrease that for, for Lent, but what, do I, what am I gonna put in its place? So I wanna put in its place um, some reflection I just got it. I have two books. One is about peace and peace has been my trajectory, you know, like my whole life. How do, how do I find peace in my own life, peace with God, and then extend that peace to others? 
So I got this little journal that it's a daily journal of reflections for you to meditate on and then journal on, right? About peace. So I want to add that um, because I got it for Christmas and I haven't done anything with it. And and luckily for me, there are no dates in it. You get to put the dates in. So right. this is the day that you that you did it. Um, so I want to increase that. And then I got another book um, th- that journeys. It's for women uh, with some reflections on the woman at the well. Hmm. And um, I w- I want to journey with that because I identify so closely with the woman at the well and just the things that happen to you and the forgiveness that God or that Jesus extends to us. So those are the things that I want to add while I'm working at decreasing in the other areas. Right. I, I want to seize on, on that, right? Because as we, uh, you, you've mentioned writing and, and stories and, and stories that kind of resonate with you. And I know that your, uh, your research interest, your research topic, right, is, is storytelling um, and, and the experience of Black Catholics. Um, and that this is all kind of situated right in Loyola's Institute of Pastoral Studies, which which intrigues me that that there's a pastoral side of storytelling or storytelling has a pastoral element. So I wonder if you can um, kind of crack that open a little bit for us and, and help us to understand um, what what are you trying to find the answer to in your research um, at these these kind of pastoral studies, storytelling experience of black Catholics at the crossroads of all these things? So what I'm trying to do is, unpack for people a different method of doing catechesis. Okay. That, um, that when we delve into storytelling, what we do is recognize um, the, the tradition and the scripture stories at a deeper level, that they're not just some abstract or, or stories in, in scripture that were told um, for yesterday, but they have implications for us today, that there is a way to bring to life the, the stories of um, the Catholic Church and of the canonical texts that intersect with how we live. Mm. Now, when we think about um, what we do, right? So what we're doing right now in this conversation is I'm telling stories. They're my stories, right? They're not the scripture stories, but they are my stories. And so the more I share my story, someone else begins to resonate with something that I'm saying and it connects to them, right? And what I call your story. So in, in, in my conversation with you, Eric, um, I'm telling this story, it resonates. And what happens is you want to begin to tell your story, you find a point. And so in the linkage, right, of my story and your story, we find our commonalities. And there in that commonality, we can lift up God, right? So what I want to do then in, in the research is say, now, how do we extend this to catechetical endeavors. Okay. All right. And and it's in the way we use story that then we can break open the lesson that we're trying to convey to people. So for example, 
in talking about the woman at the well and the fact that I resonate with the with the woman at the at the well, um, I would tell that story, and let me give you like a sixty second version of how to tell that story in a way that people might resonate. So it's really hot, and um, it's about noon time, and here this woman decides that this is the time in which she needs to go to the well to get water. Why is she going at the heat of the day? Why doesn't she go when it's earlier, when the sun is not up? Well, probably because she's ostracized from the women who journey together to go to the well. She's not part of them, and they've made it known that she's not part of them. In what way has um, other people made it clear that we're not part of their little group, where they've pushed us to the margins, right, and made it clear that we're not part of them? And then how do we find our way um, uh, along the path when we're alone or when we're not part of the group? Well, here you have this woman who takes this journey at the heat of the day because she is thirsty. And she has to get to the well to get the water. That's a quick version of how I would enter into that in a storytelling type of way, but drawing people in by asking the questions currently. It's a journey that, that we're taking, right? And, and if this journey is about our growing in faith, how do we relay some of the stories of scripture in a way that people can root themselves in the story, but also look at their own life and what their life is calling them to do or be. And that it feels again very Ignatian in an approach to scripture. Which would you say is, or or maybe you can. Um, in what ways has Ignatian spirituality helped? Um, or influenced your approach to how you do this work of storytelling? You know, I call myself a, a, an accidental um, a person into Ignatian spirituality. So what I didn't know when I went to St. Louis University in St. Louis, I, I didn't pay attention to Ignatian spirituality. I'm just like, I was like, I don't pay attention to that. I'm just, I, I take my theology courses because I need to get an A and because they told me I had to take these courses. And then all of these years later, I am at another Jesuit institution where they're talking about, you know, Ignatian pedagogy and Ignatian spirituality and this whole thing about finding God in all things. And I go, Is, isn't is that what's supposed to happen? Like, where did I get that from? And so I really started thinking about, did St. Louis University do their job so well that I didn't know about Ignatian spirituality, but I um, internalized it in such a way that isn't that what you're supposed to do? It's find God in all things. Isn't it what you're supposed to do is read scripture and find out how in the world to unpack it for you right now? Isn't that what everyone is doing? It seems so obvious when you put it that way. <laughs> yes. And so I was like, oh, that's Ignatian spirituality. I'm like, man. So I, I'm coming at it now with this intellectual lens of, Oh, 
well, well, that's what I've been doing. And, and I'm like, it makes so much sense to me, right? So now on the academic side of how do I help other people unpack um, a spirituality that um, really connects to you as person and then ask you to do interior work, to look at where God is in your life and then ask you to witness that. See, that's my version of what Ignatian um, spirituality is. And for me, that is so in line with um, Black spirituality, right? Black spirituality that takes in who you are as person. What is your context? What is your situation? And how is God interacting with that? And then ask you to go out and share that. But you're sharing it not from the scriptural lens, but from your own lens. And I think that is the beauty of Ignatian spirituality that asks you to witness to God from your particularity. Go ahead. How would you, is that is that healing? So, so again, you're in the pastoral um, uh, studies, Institute of Pastoral Studies, right? And I and I always think pastoral that there is certainly a degree of healing to that, right? That, that you are trying to heal one another. How how is storytelling and, and this this beautiful approach that you're laying out? How how can that be used to heal? Oh my gosh! Because what happens is storytelling, um, structured storytelling. Let me say it that way. Because what I'm trying to lay out is that there is a way to tell the story so that it is healing. And what, what happens is we are, we're all telling the story anyway, no matter how painful. What mm -hmm. I'm trying to do in, in a pastoral way is how do you tell the story in a way that you're also reflecting on the story where you're gaining insight on the story that you're telling for your growth, right? So you're not just telling a story and walking away from it, but you're telling, you're telling your story in a way that says, okay, now I've said this, but what do these words mean to me, right? Oh, I'm learning now in the telling what can be healing, right? Because sometimes you don't know until you tell someone else what you have actually experienced. And, right. and then you're looking at it because then the person reflects back to you what you've said and you get to reflect on it in a way that says, I have just gained some insight. Well, in gaining that insight, I believe it, the, the insight has healing properties, right? That I'm not just telling a painful story or I'm not just telling a, a, a story that um, of what someone has done to me, but I'm telling a story and then I'm looking at it objectively hmm. in order for me to learn from it. Well, when I'm able to do that, then I'm able to heal. But what happens this this is what i am embarking upon is something that takes time this is not a quick fix right 
right? This is, this is something that takes time that people have to sit with. They have to wrestle with, they, they have to be truthful to themselves, right? There's a vulnerability in, in this. Well, well, this is not, um, here, here are the five points that you need to know about, um, you know, the sacraments of initiation, right? These are not the five points, memorize those and let's keep going. These are, here are some five points about the sacrament of initiation. And what does that mean to you right now in your life? What does it call up? You see, so it keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper so that we are, are not just memorizing five points for a test, but we're going deeper for transformation. Mm. So that when you think about Ignatian spirituality or Ignatian pedagogy, it's really about our transformation. Right, of course. And, and again, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struck, I think, by the, uh, the moment of moment in time that we're having this conversation at the, at the you know, we're, we're, we're at the end of Black History Month and we're about to begin Lent. And, and I think of, you know, I, any sort of month that's celebrating a, 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 a group of a group of people, a community certainly is, is built upon the stories uh, or, or is, is endeavoring to pull out stories that have been suppressed. Right. Yes. Um, and, then, and then Lent, you know, is a time when, when, you know, we're sitting upon our, our, our faith, our, our kind of reservoir of, of stories here uh, and, and, and slowly, you know, meandering through our own desert but in but in community all these things are, are together right that we're trying to have that personal uh, and communal transformation and the way i hear you describing storytelling is it has to happen in some sort of a communal setting um and 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 again just to, to go back uh, you know that idea of decreasing and increasing that that to have any sort of of good dialogue that that helps us gives us that room for for growth there has to be a sense of inner decrease. I have to set aside some of myself to welcome in the stories that that you're sharing. So I, I just wonder, as um, as kind of like my you know a final thought, a final question, um, what stories do we need to be telling? What stories do we need to be listening to uh, to help close, fill in some of these gaps in in our society, in our country, in our world um, that might be helpful as we begin this 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 new liturgical season of of Lent. Hmm. What stories do we need to be telling and listening to? Let, let me be simple. Um, be, because if I make it too complex, then, then it overwhelms. For those of us who, are, who participate in um, weekly mass or daily mass for that matter, we might need to get beyond hello to people mm. around us, right? Like we don't have to go searching for people in order to engage people in storytelling, but we might need to either arrive early to the mass or stay later and ask someone their name and what did they think about the readings or how, how did the readings challenge them or um, have you ever wondered why we are doing what we're doing, right? How do we engage one another when we are with them on a regular basis? And, and, and then 
walk away with, I've learned uh, someone's name. I mean, I know when I go to church, there are a lot of people there who they know my name, but I don't know theirs. And so this challenge is for me as well. How do I get to know their name so that um, it's not just, thank you, thank you, Margaret, for introducing yourself to me, but Margaret, you know, are you named after someone? Um, do you do you go by Margaret all the time? Is it Peggy? Is it Margie? And 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 then be willing to share a, about me. Those are the stories that we need to engage in. The stories of the people that we're in contact with on a regular basis, people that we ignore, right? Because those are those are the people that help us make a difference. Right. If I always have to go outside of my community to a soup kitchen that is not in my community and I'm going to serve there or whatever, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily digging further into the, the, the lives of people who I surround myself with on a, on a regular basis. You know, maybe I have a coworker who gets on my nerves because they play a certain kind of music that, that I don't like. Well, maybe I need to engage them and be like, so what is it about that music that you really like? Have you ever thought about this music? Maybe their response would challenge me into why don't I like that music? And so those are the stories that I think we need to challenge ourselves to uncover and listen to and then see how do those those stories get raised up in our in our immediate context before we can get to the city level, the county level, right? The state level, you know, um, sometimes I think we just start too big. Mm. I think that's a good, that's a good, uh, a good thing to take, take with us into Lent a, a, a simple doable, but, but, but something that can lead to a, a significant impact, uh, just kind of getting to know the stories of the people that we, we see every day. I like that. Yeah. Dr. Davis, I appreciate you spending some time with us on the podcast today, and uh, I, I hope Lent is is a is a fruitful time for you. And and uh, I will I will do my best to to get to hear the stories of, of folks around me. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you for inviting me. I've had a great time. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Mike Jordan Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @jesuitnews. Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, Go and set the world on fire.